Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. All right, welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield, and today is a special day because we have a live in-studio guest on the podcast. Uh, some of you might know this gentleman. He played football at some, some school out west, California. Um, he's not a Buckeye, but he was a Trojan, and we don't hold that against him here. He also played at the National Football League level. In fact, some call him the greatest lineman to ever play the game. You probably know who I'm talking about. It's Hall of Famer Anthony Munoz. Anthony, thanks for joining us today. Jeff, thanks for having me. I, I got to just add something. I know you talked <laughs> Ohio State, USC, and I just got to admit, it's almost 40 years ago that I got here to Cincinnati. 40 and, years ago. And I didn't have a lot of fans when I got here. You know what happened 40 years ago? Well, I'm sure you'll look it up, but we beat the team up north. So, okay, let's, let's move on. <laughs> was that the Rose Bowl? That was the Rose oh, Bowl. That's a, yeah, what yeah. they call the big, you know, the granddaddy of them the all. granddaddy yeah. of them all, yeah, yeah. We but, used to love the Rose Bowl because that was when we got to play the Big Ten. That was your, that was your bye week? <laughs> no, I wouldn't say it was a bye week. It was a tough week, but it was a, a good uh, start to the new year. Now, if I remember right, wasn't that the, the bowl game that you were injured, right? And you, come, you came back for that game. Is that right? I, I got hurt the second time we had the football in week one, Lubbock, Texas, missed the entire season. Uh, you know, we had played in two Rose Bowls prior to my senior year, and I hadn't played in one because that was my third knee operation in four years. And like, I'm determined, I want to play with the guys I've come into school with, getting ready to finish school, Charles White, Brad Buddy, Paul McDonald. And uh, so I had surgery and you know, went to every game and cheered the guys on. And sure enough, we were going to our third Rose Bowl in four years. And I went in and finally convinced the coach that I was ready. I mean, I busted my rear end working out. My, my routine was class, rehab, you know, homework, yeah. class, rehab, homework, and finally convinced the coach to let me come out and practice and earn that job back. And sure enough, uh, played the entire game and uh, didn't know what was going to happen after that. And of course, uh, the Bengals decided to draft me and give me a shot on the NFL level. But yeah, that was, he played the entire game, the only game. And that was a uh, wow. 1980 Rose Bowl. Yep. Well, sorry for my Buckeyes out there because I'm sure you contributed to that last game-winning drive. Um, but you've been here in the land of milk and honey, as I call it, Ohio. Everything good flows from the, the land of milk and honey in Ohio for a long time now. And uh, what I really hope today to take away from our conversation is, uh, as this podcast has always revolved around some form of, of change, of personal development, um, and we talk a lot about you know, customer change here, but we also talk a lot about personal change. And what I really want to share, have you share with the audience first is tell us a little bit about your background because you don't come from this prototypical, you know, you were a suburban kid in Midwest who had this, you know, they identified you at eight years old as the next future (laughs) Hall of Fame left tackle, right? Tell us about your background. No, none of that was uh, true. In fact, you know, I've been in the Mason area for, uh, you know, since 1983 and back in 83, it was just farmland, cows, horses, uh, you know, a lot of flowers and stuff. And I grew up in Southern California where there was a lot of asphalt, a lot of concrete, uh, not a whole lot of grass in your yard, uh, Ontario, California. We did have some orange orchards, grape vineyards. Grew up there, born and raised there. One of five kids. I'm the middle uh, son. Two older brothers, two younger sisters. My mom raised five of us, five of us by herself. I mean, I'm talking... 
two, three jobs, not just two, three jobs, but two, three very difficult, hard labor jobs. Uh, one of them is that we had a lot of grape vineyards uh, just by the foothills, and she would uh, get her, her bandana, wrap it around. She would get her knife and hit the fields and pick grapes during grape season. Uh, some good friends of ours uh, had a chicken ranch, and she would go and pack eggs. And, of course, there's many times where my siblings and I would walk home from school with with uh, pillowcases full of clothes, and my mom would iron clothes for my teachers to make money. And, you know, I got to say, I just can't say she would iron clothes because even today, as I remember the way she taught us to iron, the way she ironed, I would put up her job to any, with all due respect, to any dry cleaners, the way they iron clothes because she was amazing. Yeah. Uh, so those were the type of jobs, and uh, she was one of 11. So we oh, had wow. a lot of cousins, a lot of uncles right there in Ontario, California, a lot of support. Uh, you know, was we, she born here or was she? She was she born here. here. So I was second generation. Okay. My grandparents, uh, great-grandparents, and everybody else was born in Mexico. I knew her mother, her grandmother, so my grandma, great-grandparents. Never knew my dad. So my mom raised us. As I tell people, she was mom, dad, coach, and we knew she was the boss. boss no doubt. <laughs> but right. um, So, yeah, so I never knew my dad. He was in and out of prison when I was growing up, drug addict. Uh, but several years ago, we did a genealogy reveal. I knew a couple answers about my dad, and they checked it out. And the crazy thing about it, his family was also from Chihuahua, Mexico, the really? same place where my mom's family was from. So my mom was born in the States, and, of course, I was born in the States. But uh, the neat thing about it is even though I'm an American, you know, Mexican descent, my grandparents and all, everyone that came from Mexico brought the culture. Yeah. I mean, the you know the holidays, the parties, the uh, food, which I love. But yeah, so my mom, we never had a car, you know, so everything was you know, we walked, we walked, but we had you know uncles and cousins that would you know, assist us in transportation. So that's where I grew up, and uh, you know. She, she taught us work ethic, responsibility. And I can say that she didn't sit us down and say, okay, this is what working hard's all about. All yeah. we had to do was watch her. She did teach us responsibility because when she would work all day, in the summer especially, we had to cook, we had to clean house, we learned how to wash clothes, we learned how to iron clothes. So very, very valuable lessons that she taught us as kids that really carried over through you know, my teen years and even now as an adult, uh, an older, much older adult, those lessons uh, come into play. But, uh, you know, I'll never trade growing up that way. I tell people I never knew how much we didn't have until I got to high school. Yeah. I mean, because we might have one pair of clothes, one set of clothes for school, but, man, they were always washed, always ironed. I'm talking not just iron, but starched and Legit creased. starched oh, iron, I tell you, right? I'd always say, Mom, why do you iron our undershirts? Nobody sees them. She goes, I do. Wow. I do. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything because the lessons we learned and the childhood that I had with school and sports, sports were very important. But in order to participate in sports, we had to get our homework done during the school year. She made sure of that. And then the summer, in order to go out and play baseball all day, which was my first love, we had to do our chores at home, make sure that was all set before she got home. Because she, uh, she, she didn't bring out the white glove, but she didn't need a white glove because she could see if we really right. got things done at home. Wow. That's, that's great. The, the thing that I hear you say, because we, we make, those of the, who are listening who are Brain Trust clients know that we make everybody have a why story. Mm -hmm. And the why story always has to have a sage. Like you can't be about yourself. You can't right. be about how you overcame. You can't be about how you arrived. It's got to be about someone who helped you get there. And what I tell people a lot that struggle to find how to verbalize their story is, 
You don't have to have someone who sat you down and said, now I'm teaching you this so that you will be a hard worker one day. Most of the work, most of the beliefs that most of us have were through observation. Right. And it sounds like that's the same with your mom, right? She, you observed Agreed. these these beliefs and these behaviors in her, which then you just adopted for your own. Amen. Amen. It's funny you mention that because I just got to mention something right away. Talk about, you know, the support group, those around you. And I chuckle inside when I hear, I want you to meet this guy. I want you to meet this gal. They're self-made. <laughs> yeah. Then this self-made person had, does something really well, and they receive an accolade. Right. So they're, they're preparing their speech. They're at a luncheon, a banquet. They get up to the podium, and what's the first thing they do? They start thanking all these people right. that have helped them. And I'm thinking, if they're self-made, right. but there's this whole group of support, this whole right. group of people. That are, so, yeah, it's, it's not about me. I, I, and that's one thing I always talk about from my mom to uncles. That, you know, I had an uncle, one, you know, one of my uncles, uh, one of my mom's brothers who would pick me up at a Little League game. And him and his wife, my aunt and uncle, would take me to, to lunch and maybe buy me a pair of pants. Or it was that high school teacher that, uh, you know, my home ec teacher, Mrs. Falcon, who I got to know really well. And, and, I, and it was almost kind of like I would ace the class because I learned how to cook at six, seven years say, old. You had, you yeah. had an unfair advantage oh, in that I, class. I tell you what, man, but it was, <laughs> I mean, I was excited because that's what mom taught us. And I'll never forget final exam, myself and a buddy got to cook, you know, a meal for our entire class. And uh, so it's, it's all those people that have come alongside of my journey and uh, that really motivated me and that still motivates me. You know, people say, well, you got to pass, pay it forward. I said, well, you do. But at my age, I'm looking at it more as you you honor those yeah, that poured into your life and absolutely. the examples they set for you. Yeah, and you live, I tell folks a lot that you have to, that the ideal thing, and, and this is this is in the good book as well, is you need, you need a coach, you need to be a coach. Yeah, you know, exactly. you need a mentor, you should be a mentor. Right. And so some of the ways that you can be effective is simply by living the kind of life that others observe, right. that they adopt that. And, um, and I, I tell some of our clients sometimes, say, are you living your life today in such a way that one day someone will pick you as the sage in their story? Yeah, exactly. And you don't have to sit down and tell people that, right. hey, I'm trying to teach you this lesson so <laughs> yeah. you'll have this later in life. Yeah. You just let it, let it, most great, most great uh, sermons are caught, not taught, right? As they well, say, you know, right? it's funny you mention that. And one of the things I talk about, sometimes I talk about leadership. And how many individuals do you here that come up in front of a group and self-proclaim themselves as leaders. I mean, your team, like you're saying, people that you're around are the people that designate you the leader. Right. And, and what I say, I hope that, you know, my teammates saw me as a leader. I hope that, you know, my foundation staff, I hope, you know, hopefully I'm doing the things to influence them in a positive way. I'm not going to stand up here and say, hey, I'm a leader in this community. No, I want that's something that people just are watch say. me, right? Exactly. Yeah, hopefully, just to watch what I exactly. do. Exactly. And not that you you have all the answers or have things exactly. perfectly, but that you care deeply enough to, right. to act in, in that manner. Yeah. That's fantastic. So when you talk about um, what I love about backstories like that with your mom <clears throat> and the lessons that she taught you, and you start to adopt those lessons or you start to ad adopt those beliefs as you go forward, and, and you were big on in sports, obviously from a young age. I mean, I remember baseball when I was three and wanting, just knew I was going to pitch. Exactly. Like I yeah. you know, had the old tire hanging out on the tree, just trying to throw that ball through that tire. Um, I found that teamwork and collaboration in sports, not everybody today, a lot of kids aren't involved in sports as much anymore, and that's okay. You got to you know, find your lane. Right. But for me, what I found is was find a team of some sort. It doesn't have to be a sports team, but a team that will help you 
kind of galvanize your own abilities to lead others or to follow other leaders. Right. What was that like for you as you kind of grew up through wanting to be a baseball player? Then you're going to be a pretty big dude. Yeah. Wanna... That baseball uniform doesn't fit too well. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I think, you know, I look at the, the many, many years of team, uh, team sports and being a part of a team and how valuable that, that has been for me. Uh, like you're right, accountability and uh, just the work ethic. And, you know, it's, you're there for the other guys. I mean, you know, people talk about teamwork and it's like, no, you want to be there for the other guys. I mean, that's what you're, you want to be the best teammate uh, and that's getting yourself, you know, in preparation and discipline and, and all those things to be the, the best teammate possible. So, you know, I look at the things that I've learned of over 30 years of being involved in a team. And, you know, I started at seven years old playing, like you're talking about baseball. My two brothers are two and seven years older than me and I was out as a seven, eight-year-old competing with them. Uh, you know, I look back and see that God had really blessed me in that I was going to be, I was going to play in the major leagues, man. You know, people say, so who was your football hero? I said, well, I really didn't have one. It was Brooks Robinson and Juan Marichal. You know, I was like, why is that? So I was a third baseman pitcher. Those are the guys I emulated as a kid. Uh, but the things that we, I learned that carry over into society, into business. Now that, you know, I've had a couple of small companies for several years, my foundation, um, you know, hopefully my staff don't get tired of me using sports analogies, but <laughs> right. man, the things that I learned, how appropriate for, you know, yeah. for business, for non-for-profit and, and just for life. So I'm very thankful and I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that for anything. I, again, I do it all over in a heartbeat, uh, knowing how I feel right, right now at my age, yeah. but, uh, no, it, it was, it, it's been great. Yeah. It's funny because my team and also some of our clients, I have had to expand upon my storytelling and anal analogies because they either come from the farm or sports, right? <laughs> I'm like, well, that's my life. It's yeah. the farm and sports. So those awesome. are the things yeah. I, I know the best. So yeah. what really I want to get into also next is whether as far back as you want to go, but I know definitely in, when you started playing sports as you got a little bit older, you had a series of, of, of kind of continual setbacks mm -hmm. that, that pushed forward where a lot of people would just be like, okay, well, I guess this isn't supposed yeah. to be my path. Uh, but you took a different approach. Yeah. You had a different mindset. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit? I can, you know, and there's a couple different uh, things I use in, in exactly what you're talking about. Uh, one of the first things I say is don't allow things to keep you stuck. You know, and, and I shared my background. A lot of people let their, their upbringing keep them stuck. Mm. Say, okay, well, single parent, we don't have any money. We don't have this, we don't have that. So statistics say that a young man growing up in that environment is not gonna do anything. I said, the heck with that. I have plenty of resources that are going to help me get out of that situation. You know, athletics, school, that all work together to get me an education in college, to get my school paid for, to have, give me the opportunity to play college football. So I think your, your background, your upbringing is sometimes something that people get stuck with. Adversity. I mean, I tell people, you know, I speak a lot and I say, it's not a matter if, but when you go through adversity, how are you going to handle it? How are you going to come out the other side? And you're right. I go through high school as a football, basketball, and baseball guy. Four years from each sport. I mean, I, don't, I can't remember missing a game because of injury. It was like football, next day, had the basketball right. uniform on it. Then I get to college. And in, when I was going to college, that was the time when USC was winning Rose Bowls, winning national championships, Heisman Trophy winners, All-Americans, number one draft picks in the NFL. As a 17-year-old senior, I said, I want to be part of that. Yeah. I want some of that. So I had all these plans going there. Well, four years at USC, I played one healthy season. <laughs> right. I mean, three knee operations in four years. And I share with people, it would have been easy for me to say the heck with this. Let's just finish school as I did, finish, and just move into another direction. Why do I need the headache of having to rehabilitate every year? 
but it was that desire and passion and the examples I had learned, watched from my mom that said, don't give up. You know, you got to keep moving forward with what you have. And sometimes you don't have a whole lot. Right. It might be the bleakest situation, but you just keep fighting. And every surgery I had, it was like, it motivated me and it pushed me that much harder, not only physically, but in the other areas of my life. And then my senior year, people were like, uh, you know, just do something else. You don't need to be going through. I'll never forget live interview that after my third knee operation. I'm laying in bed the day after surgery, and there's this uh, sportscaster who's pretty well known. He's the, Bryant Gumbel. Okay. And he's working with NBC, so we're doing a live hookup interview. And he's talking to me, and I'm sitting there, you know, kind of half awake, half asleep. And I'll never forget the last thing he says. He goes, Anthony, when is enough enough? When are you going to give this thing up? This is your third knee operation. I said, Bryant, I said, for whatever reason, God still is giving me the desire and the passion to rehabilitate and give it one more shot. As soon as I got out of the hospital, had the cast on, I was jumping rope in one leg, lifting weights, going to class with the backpack. And it was one of those things where I wanted to give it one more shot. And I had that motivation thinking of, okay, relatives working hard, overcoming adversity. And I got that one shot. But it was one of those things where people were just pouring into me. Sure, you had the naysayers, all the noise of saying, nice, move on, move on. Why mess with this? And then you had those who are saying, hey, if you believe you can do it, just do it. Yeah. You know, at least give it one more shot. And if one more game is the last game you play, then let it be. But um, so that was really what motivated me to not get stuck. I mean, I tell people I could have taken the white towel and said, right. I'm done, out of here. But uh, I, I look at what happened those three years that I went through the, the operations in those four years. And uh, again, like I said, I wouldn't trade my childhood, my upbringing for anything. I wouldn't trade those four years for anything, even watching my guys play from the sideline week after week. Yeah, that, that's such a powerful thing. And I, I don't know what it is. I love your opinion on this. Like, is it is it genetic? Is it upbringing? Is it, there's something inside of some people that my mom's always said, why are you so motivated? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I just know that I've always been driven. I've always been competitive um, and I've always wanted to win, but I've always loved people. Um, so I wanted, if I'm going to beat you, I want you to like me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when I really, when I see people today, whether it's in business or whether mm-hmm. it's in life and mentoring uh, young guys or whether it's in business and coaching folks is I see so much more potential in people than I think they see in themselves. Right. And what do you think that is that holds some people back from, from being that, hey, no matter what happens, I'm going to have my third knee surgery. I shouldn't be trying to even consider the NFL. Right. I should try to right. get, a, get a job and have a nice career. But yet having that saying, you know, no, you know, I got a vision and I'm going to keep going until God shuts that vision down. From my experience, what I've seen in my own, in my kids, guys I played with, um, teammates of my kids, I think there's several things that come to play. And, you know, it's interesting because I talked about my background. I talked about mom raised us, no dad. And sometimes I went through that whole grieving process of not having a dad. But yeah. then there's times where I think back even now and say, wonder if it was a good thing that I didn't have a dad because I see a lot of guys that psychologically are stuck because of dad or the parents yeah. so involved, not just encouraging or supporting, but so much more involved. So I think in a lot of people I've seen, that becomes kind of a roadblock for yeah. them. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because there's just, I've been around a lot of self-starters, motivated guys, and for me, I don't know how I would have been if I was a golfer or a tennis player or a boxer or an individual guy. Yeah. 
I love the team aspect so much. I love people around me. I love the accountability. I love the encouraging of each other. And I love seeing teammates do as well as myself. So I, I don't know. There's a lot of factors that come into play with that. A lot, a lot of things that uh, I had got enjoyment of, of being a team member. And to me, it was like, not like I never wanted to let my family down right. in things I did. I didn't want to let my teammates down. So that motivate, motivated me. Like I tell people the off season from January to July was to me just as important as training camp because I knew if I was as strong as I possibly could be and if I was in the greatest shape, I could get to camp and then I could think football and be the best right. teammate. Right. You see, and to me, that's what motivated me is not letting the guy that I was lining up next to on the line down, not letting down the other 10 guys on the offense or the 11 guys on defense or the 11 guys on specialty. So that was really my motivation is that I wanted to win so bad as a team right, right. that that's what motivated me and got me, that was my incentive to just bust it and bust it and bust it. You know, plus I had this vision as you were telling that story of Anthony Munoz as a, uh, as a professional bowler in your bowling outfit. It just doesn't fit, right? It doesn't, I can't picture it. It doesn't fit. I can't see <laughs> Anthony real big on my chest the big on the shirt. Earn, the, big yeah. earn, the, the, the big Anthony, the big Munoz uh, as a bowler. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it was uh, as much as I enjoy golf now, I couldn't see myself, you know, through my childhood and through college. Right. Just, it's just, um, I'm sure I could have handled it, but I, I love running out on the field with the other 10 guys. Yeah, yeah. On the baseball field, you know, the other eight guys or in the basketball court in high school, the other four guys and just kind of, I guess the thing I love is just the whole metaphor of the huddle. Yeah. You know, the huddle, which again, is not only athletic, but it's in society. Totally. I mean, as a community, we need to huddle up right. and just throw away our, you know, our differences our skin colors, our socioeconomic backgrounds, our religion, and just come together. And that's what we did Amen. in football. You had a huddle, and I didn't look at the guy next to me and say, I'm playing next to a hog farmer from Iowa. I don't know if we can work together. Right. It's like, you're from Iowa, I'm from SoCal. Let's go, man. We got to take the guy in front of us together. and put him on yeah. his back. Yeah, so that's what's cool. It's funny how, and I wish, that's why I think that sometimes I get stuck on this whole thing with sports, because that was my that was my outlet for team, you know, for the team environment. My dad was a Marine. My grandfather, my papa was a medic in the army. Um, that was there. Right. They, they weren't sports guys. They were military guys. They had a similar thing, right? They had a similar concept right. of being there for your brother next to you. And it was about right. a team environment. And I, and I had that through sports and, and, and now I, I carry that on. And, and I feel like sometimes in today's culture, it's become a little bit more of an individualist society, you know, with the selfies and the social media and all that. I think we're losing that right. that community um, where you got to be intentional. I love your idea about this idea of a huddle because it's yeah. it's it's literal, but it's also metaphorical. And how are we as families and communities taking time to the, in our businesses, yeah. like the local businesses that are listening to the podcast right. today? Are you are you coming together as a huddle? Right. as a team, right, to do the same things together as opposed to a bunch of individuals working. I agree. And I think, you know, we're so used to having the huddle and the quarterback only talks. Right. You know, we don't, as a lineman, we don't talk. Or you have a company and you have the CEO. I mean, what, let's, let's get to the you know, servant leader. I mean, you might be a CEO. My name might be on my foundation, but you better believe my staff knows if we need to load a truck, I mean, they're much younger now and I'm much older. They don't, they say, no, no, go sit down. We don't want you to get hurt. <laughs> Different reasons now, but, right? <laughs> exactly. But we're going to roll up our sleeves. If I need to stop and buy some, you know, some paper towels for the building, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to, you know, hey, I think you need to go. What, you know, that's what teamwork's all about. Doing yeah. things, you know, to improve the team. And 
you know, that's what I learned through growing up. That's what I learned through teamwork. Sure, you have your quarterback, your head coach, but I think everyone's important. And one of the things I share about teamwork is with the football team. Sure, the quarterback, the starters are important, but the backups are important. The equipment manager is important, getting the right equipment. The medical staff, the administrators, making sure that, you know, they're taking care of their part. You know, flight schedules and rooms on the road. So it's a matter of every team member is important, just like every community member is important. We're, we're so... I think interested in everybody being the chief and, you know, forgetting about all the, you know, that we need to, you might have the title of CEO or president, but uh, still be part of the team and be involved. Boy, that's so transferable. And I hadn't thought about it quite that way before is I remember growing up on sports and, you know, when you're a freshman in high school, I didn't play varsity yet. Um, baseball, I think I did, but basketball and football, right. I didn't. And I had, I had coaches tell me, you got to know your role. Right now, your role is X. You're running scout team. Right. Um, or your role is Y. And know your role in any given group or team, right? right. And then as you grow and mature and then you, have diff- you take on different roles, yeah. as you have more leadership given to you, it, isn't it the same in business, right? As you go into an organization, everybody needs to know their role. But more importantly, as the leaders here are listening, it's our job to communicate with context why each role matters. Right. So exactly. people feel affirmed that their role matters and it's a bigger cog in the machine oh. that produces the right output, right? Exactly. And I think the word I use is appreciation. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you might just be starting out, but show some appreciation. Sure, hold them accountable, but also appreciate them. And that's yeah. one of the things I share with guys that I was involved with as leaders. I mean, from Paul Brown to Forrest Gregg to Boomer Esiason, who we talked about. They were leaders, but they knew how to lead. They knew how to connect with guys. They knew how to hold guys accountable. But at the same time, they know how to appreciate or encourage guys. And I think we get so caught up in the accountability, accountability, accountability. All of a sudden, you're beating people down so far. So when they're successful, it's still on them, on them, on them, instead of appreciating them yeah. and really affirm them, as you said. Yeah, one of, uh, one of my partners here, Dan Doherty, he's finishing up his PhD in coaching mm-hmm. um, and, and management and organizational design. And one of his mentors is Richard Boyatzis, who wrote Primal Leadership. And what they have found in all their work is you can coach with compliance, you can coach with compassion. It's two different styles. You need them both. But coaching for compliance is really more about that accountability to the metrics piece. But coaching for compassion is that idea of how do I help you get better? How do I connect with you at the heart level? And I think we got a lot of leaders out there who try to coach too much with compliance and not enough compassion. It's interesting. You use compliance, compassion. My wife and I use truth and love. Yeah, very similar, right? Being a coach. Being a father, being a husband, be a parent, you know, if, if you have too much compliance or too much truth, you're going to get rebellion. Right. If you have too much compassion or too much love, hey, you're my best friend and I'm going to walk all over you. Exactly. So you need that balance of each. Totally. So that's pretty cool. I like that. You know, that, that'll preach anywhere, right? Yeah. Whether it's a business or whether it's coaching Amen. a volleyball team, your daughters, or, right. or whether it's actually on a, on a physical sports team. So. Well, we talked a little bit about your background and some of the adversity you had to overcome and that the switch that you had. Right. And the other thing, without going too deep in, in the Dr. Phil uh, psychological realm here is, you said something that triggered um, a thought in my mind is, we all have, and you've, you've heard this term before, we, we all have some sort of father wound, it seems mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Yours was one of absence, right. but sometimes it can be a deeper wound of presence right. if, you've had, if you've got that upbringing. And so everyone out there has got this sometimes false identity yeah. about who they are from what they were told. Right. You don't have to stay stuck in that, right? You, exactly. The identity of who you are, you can choose that. Yeah. And you can choose the mindset 
yeah. and says, man, God's given me a set of gifts that's so different yeah. than anyone else around me. I may not see it today, but I know and I believe it to be true. And I'm going to choose to try to find what those gifts are and make a, make the world a better place using them, regardless of if I'm on my third knee surgery or my sixth. So yeah. speak for just a second about the mindset of change, like the willingness to say, man, it's, it's okay. Change is going to happen. Change, change that you don't choose is going to get forced upon you at some point. Well, we can choose to do that. Or you can give the absent father or the abusive father the power to keep you stuck. Stuck, yeah. You know, or, or, or you can choose to say, that happened, but I'm moving forward. Man, I want to be the best dad. I want to be the dad that he wasn't. I don't want to be the absent dad. I want to be the encourager to my wife. I want to be the, you know, the supporter to my kids. But you're right. It's all about choice. I mean... You know, I, I talk a lot about excellence. You can choose to be excellent or I feel like being excellent. You can, so I share, I came here after my last game at USC was 83 degrees on January 1st. We don't see 81 th- degrees here in Cincinnati on <laughs> January 1st. No, we don't. So I come here, I got to run in the off season. We have no indoor facility. So before all this nice warm gear that's being yeah, made yeah. now, I'd have to make up and I'd go run because running was big for me. I was a long distance runner in the winter. So I would have taken you as a long distance runner. Okay, what, six, seven a day. And then car, wow. you know, yeah, that was even after I retired, I wouldn't say maybe a jog or trudge. I don't know. About <laughs> that. But uh, so I wanted to be excellent. So I chose I wake up in the morning, I chose to put it on, the clothes on, go run. Now, I feel like being excellent, but I feel tired today. So maybe let's put it off in tomorrow. I don't feel very mm. good. So it's the same thing. I can choose to be unstuck. I can choose to not allow that dad that wasn't there to not affect me and to move forward. Or, man, I feel really bad. I feel, I feel mistreated, so I'm going to get stuck in this thing. So, But, yeah, you, one of the things, I, you know, I had all the resources. I had this... But I still had some craziness behind me. I was like, that's behind me. I mean, that's, I'm no longer in those years. I'm now an adult. I have a choice to, you know, I've overcome injury. I have a choice to either bust my tail and, you know, let the Brown family know that they made a great choice or, you know, I'm married now. Let those that say, well, you're not going to last very long in that marriage because, you know, all this divorce and all this separation that you grew up with. So, no, I can choose. I've chose to marry Didi. She's chosen to marry me. We've got a commitment, so I'm thankful we're in 42nd year of marriage, you know? So it's like, yeah, so you choose to do those things and overcome those obstacles. Man, that's such a great concept for everyone listening out there is I love that you said, I mean, you can can feel like being good or feel like being excellent or I can desire excellence, but nothing happens until you choose it. Right. And it doesn't mean, okay, well, then I've chosen it. Well, then you choose it and then you go and you actually take the steps towards it. Exactly. You don't choose it and then sit in the lazy boy, right? Exactly. <laughs> that ain't choosing it. That's feeling it, right? That's a different, you know, different if I'm, concept. If I'm having trouble with the you know, pass rusher or closing a deal, I'm not going to sit there and just watch tape and not be outside working on right, it. Or, right, you know, right. Yeah. That's, that's really, really good. And then now as, you, as you've pivoted um, po- post-retirement, and we all know your storied career in, in, in football, and, and I um, grew up as a huge fan, and most of us out there who watched football at all were. But then you decided you could have just shut it down. Right, you had all the accolades. You could have stayed in broadcasting. You could have walked around and not had to pay for a meal in Cincinnati <laughs> the rest of your life, like one of those kind of careers. But you didn't do that. You chose another path. What? Tell us about that. Since you retired, what's your path look like? Well, you know, I, it was one of those things when I was playing. I had a lot of opportunities to to go out and help some different groups. I'm thinking, man. You know, first of all, the first time people started asking for an autograph, I'm thinking, why do they want my autograph? Right. You know, but all of a sudden you come to realization that you can use that platform in a positive way. 
You know, and that's what happened after I retired. Joke that I said, you know, Didi, we could let's go find a cabin in Montana, and we love the wilderness. Let's right, go. Right. But it was like God grabbed me and said, "Man, I got some exciting things for you to do." And I said, "I'm here. I'm all in." So I went into broadcasting, did seven years of broadcasting, and the kids got ready to go to college. And then it was like I wanted to do this, I wanted to do that, and continue to use the platform to impact young people the same way people impacted my life when I was growing up. You know, to to see young men and women in this great community that are loaded with talent, but might need a scholar, you know, some scholarship funds, yeah. or might need an opportunity to go to a leadership conference and get some life skill, you know, some nuggets about life skill. And I'm saying that's what I want to do. I want to again. It's funny because. I know I can't do it alone. So the one thing I use, even now after 19 years of our foundation, I keep. I want to collaborate. I keep saying, the bigger the team, the bigger the impact. Yeah. So I'm looking for more and more teammates. And the way I look at it, I'm still involved in a great team here in Cincinnati because, as you know, an engaged community, a giving community, a concerned community, and that's that's my passion. I wake up in the morning trying to figure out how to raise more money to try to impact kids through mentoring programs, to leadership seminars, to providing scholarships for seniors going to college for continuing education, and to be able to see how we've been a small part of some lives in this community is what it's all about, and that's what motivates me. So I really know I I know that I've been called to, to try to use the platform and bring people together to to try to impact young people that just not. To give them something, but to assist them in accomplishing a dream. The same way when I was seven, eight years, nine years old in Southern California, I had a dream, and people helped me to yeah. accomplish that dream. And that's to your point. You couldn't have made it yourself. Yeah, right? exactly. Where, where can listeners? Uh, where, where can they find out more information about your foundation? Go to MunozFoundation.org, and uh, we have everything from uh, opportunities to give financially, uh, opportunities to volunteer because we just have three full-time staff. So volunteers, interns are a big part. We usually have four to 10 local college interns that work with us and they get a chance to really work and get to know the non-for-profit world. But yeah, munozfoundation.org and you can see everything we do uh, and hopefully come out. And like I said, you don't have to write a check. You can come out and just give some time and help out with uh, you know our mentoring program, our dinners, our you know leadership seminars, or whatever yeah. it might be. That's awesome. Well, one of the things I love about having you on is that I'm always looking for guests who have figured out their why, and then even when their what changes, yeah. their why doesn't. Right. And you figured out your why from a young age. And as you've developed that and, and honed it and, and God spoke it to it more and more, right. you, whether it was through sports or through uh, business or through now uh, the foundation, your why has really still been strong, right? It's to, to leave it that is. legacy and it really is. And I love it because it's... The why is not just limited to Cincinnati. Right. The last several years, I tell people, they go, so what are you doing with all your time now? And I say, well, there's basically three buckets. So I have my foundation here that we do with youth here. Then the Hall of Fame, the last five years, has started some programs that we're doing nationally. So there's some more youth events that I get involved with, with you know my fellow Gold Jacket Hall of Famers. Yeah. And then 10 years ago, we started working with the NFL. Uh, doing a lot of character initiative, fan development. So we've been like in 27 NFL cities, been in Mexico six of the last eight years. So it's all surrounding trying to impact young people. And that's that's a passion of mine right now. That's fantastic. I love it. Um, well, I'd be remiss as we start to wrap up. I want to ask you a couple. We'll do some rapid fire fun okay. stuff. Is that okay? That's great. All right. Best leader you ever played with? Well, I'd have to say Boomer Esiason. Okay. And why? Passion, uh, preparation. Uh, he just had, I mean, he was a true competitor. 
Yeah, that's great. And I grew up watching him, so I, yeah. I can relate that. You can sense it even now, right, when he, when he does the broadcasting. All right, um, hardest guy to block ever. Uh, there's probably no quite, uh, Bruce Smith. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he was probably a beast. A lot, especially playing left tackle, a lot of guys on that side, but overall size, strength, speed, smart, quickness, uh, Bruce Smith. Hardest you've ever been hit was when? And not your WWE, <laughs> not my UFC, tough like tough man competition. Well, I used to have an office downtown, and I had both hands full, and I hit an ice pad. <laughs> oh, and the first thing that hit was the back of my head. No, it was probably big linebacker from the New England Patriots. His name was Steve Nelson. Okay. And I, they saw that I could pull and trap early on, so they had a lot of traps for me, right. the Bengals did. But we had this long trap where I'd pull from the left tackle, and I would turn it up at the right guard, okay. and every time before I came out of my stance, I'd say, turn the shoulders upfield. You don't want to get hit before you're completely turned upfield. And we're playing in New England on our sideline, and I come, and just before I planted my outside foot to turn up, Steve Nelson caught me. And all I heard, not only did I hear myself hit the ground go, oh, <laughs> but I heard all my teammates on the sideline go, whoa. <laughs> it had to be Steve Nelson. That was a slobber knocker. Um, that was a slobber knocker. Yes, That's sir. Good. That was a readjust the helmet. And, right, right. You know, wipe the nose with your jersey. <laughs> so last question. Um, I was always amazed by the ice bowl, like the, the game. Tell, tell, give, our, give our listeners out there, give, give them what they want. Give them the red meat about the what, well, videos during okay, that game. Okay, listen. So the ice bowl was the old Cowboys game. Cowboys, um, Packers up in Green Bay. Oh, Ours was the freezer bowl. The freezer bowl, yes. No, that's sorry, all right. Sorry, yeah. So two years removed from Southern California. First year we go six and ten. Second year we're going to the Super Bowl. Or actually going to the playoffs. Twelve and four home field advantage. We beat Buffalo first round. So now we're going to play in the AFC Championship game. San Diego Chargers had just played Miami the week before. It's 120, 100 percent humidity. Right. So they're coming up to a little chilly Cincinnati. Well, Max Montoya, our right guard, and I roomed together for 10 years. And I was kind of like the weatherman. I'd wake up, <laughs> open the curtains and say, Max, looks pretty good out there today. Should be a good day. So we're staying at the old Marriott up in Chester Road that morning. And we weren't expecting this. I open up the curtains. I say, blue skies and the sun's out. That's it. Great day to play football. Right. Well, we go out after pregame meal. My car doesn't turn over. And we can barely handle the weather. They have the van running at the hotel that takes to the stadium. We're like, what is going on here? <laughs> so it was like colder than cold. I mean, it was crazy cold. I'm thinking, we can't play a game in this weather. But then on the other hand, it's like, you win this game, you go to the Super Bowl. Right. So we're hearing the news and stuff, and you're hearing the official temp, and they're like, 59 below. And I'm thinking, 59 below. I mean, is that that's real? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm used to 80, 90 degrees. But now you're looking... That's 150 degrees difference. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it was. So back in the days of cartoons, they'd have these cartoons where it was so cold and two, two people would hit. And they break. And then they would start <laughs> breaking. That's what the first hit felt like. I hit the charger and all of a sudden I thought maybe from my head down to my toes I was cracking. But it was, it, I tell people it was painfully cold. Then we happened just to be playing on that great stuff that was called AstroTurf. Right, right. Uh, so, but you know what? It was one of those things. They had to come out. The Chargers had to come oh, yeah. out playing it too. Yeah, yeah. And you win the game and you go to Super Bowl 16. But what a great experience. What a great memory. And I'm thankful that we won that game. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's funny. Real quick, about five years ago, I played in a golf tournament up in Oregon, uh, Portland, Oregon, for Dan Fouts 
who happened to be the quarterback. Right, that right. We had a practice round of golf the day before, and I happened to play with three guys that were on that Chargers team. You did, okay. 18 holes, that's all they talked about. <laughs> and we're about 80 degrees during the golf tournament there. And I'm like, what do you mean it was cold during that game? You guys thought it was cold? Right, and that's right. all they talked about was how cold that AFC championship, and it's like 35 years later. Well, they probably had very little... You at least had some other colder, uh, cold games, not that cold, but right, at least some it is experience. Exactly. And they're, they, you know, wow. they're playing other home games in 75 and sunny, right? San Diego, that's right. Yeah, that's fantastic. Love that story. When I see the old footage from that game, I think I hate the cold. Like, I don't know why I live here, to be honest with you, but I just do not like the cold. When I watch that game, I'm cold. Like, uh-huh. I just, I'm cold watching it. So, well, a couple of things as we wrap up then. What I, what I love and I hope the audience took away from, the big thing today is, is it, you have a choice. You, you yeah. can choose... As, as life comes at you, you need to have a vision for your life. You need to have uh, an idea and direction that you feel called to go. You're gifted to go. But when the barriers come, you can either choose to let them bury you right. <laughs> or you can choose to figure out a way to overcome them. And the right. second thing I heard you say that I think is really important is, is uh, none of us overcome those things alone. Exactly. We need to look for those people in our lives that right. probably are waiting and want to help you overcome some of the key right there they want to totally and they may not always express it but they are probably demonstrating it in your life and and don't be so proud that you're afraid to ask people for help through there and don't get stuck and make the choice to to lean into the change because otherwise how are you going to ever find your purpose and live it out and you don't ever i don't think you ever find it perfectly right this side of heaven i think we just pursue it exactly but don't stop pursuing it right right? and then be willing to choose that excellence choose the change that's what i heard you say today keep moving forward never give up and just work extremely hard at it. I mean, and you know what? You're right. It's not not going to be perfect. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have some obstacles, but just keep fighting through it. Just make a choice to get through it. Uh, one last, I got to share. You know, we talked about lessons that you learned on the farm growing up, and we learned. I mean, we had our bicycle. We finally got a bicycle. Okay, so you can choose your your bike. Your Going to baseball games, you're trying, flat tire. You can choose just to hey, I can't ride it, or you can choose to get a little pump. Attach it to your bike, get a little box of patches, a little wrench, put them in your pocket. And if you're riding, you get a flat tire, you choose, take 10, 15 minutes, take that tube out, patch it up, and learn, learn things. I was uh-huh. just sharing this the other day. I said, with my buddies, we're talking about fixing our, our tubes when they got flat. I said, do you guys know that as a kid, if you pull the stem out of your tube and you had a slow leak in your tube, pull the stem out, you went into the mo- your mom's cupboard, food cupboard, and you got canned milk, you poured the canned milk into the tube, put the stem back in, blew it up. The canned milk was so thick that it would plug that hole up until you were able to afford some patches. Problem solvers rule the world, so right? you got to make a choice. You <laughs> right. gotta, yeah, exactly. Or you can sit on the curb and whine and moan that your <laughs> bike tire's flat. And That's hope right. I, be late to your baseball game. Yeah. You know, and I didn't want to do that. <laughs> now, these yeah. kids these days will say, well, I'll just call Uber. No, that's not. <laughs> yeah, that's, not. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's so I love it. Um, and, and once again, thank you uh, so much. It's an honor to have you on the show today. And we really appreciate not only you as a human being, but what you're doing in our community well, here. Well, Jeff, thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Appreciate what you're doing. This is great, what you, uh, we're doing with other companies and other individuals. Uh, continued success and God bless you, man. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Thank you. You've got questions. We've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, 
as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.